If you were to ask me how two, uh, two Canadian coins worth three Canadian dollars ended up on my dresser, among other coins, I couldn't tell you that story. They just, poof, appeared. Um, but that's kind of cool to be able to use them like that. If you are keeping score at home, you'll know that um, back on October 1st, we started down this gospel journey with Jesus. And that gospel journey started with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We did, we were not, we did not share that story um, in this lectionary cycle. We picked up uh, the day after. The day after he had turned over all the tables in the temple and sent all the things flying. So he's there in the temple and if, you're, if, you're fo- if you have followed along in this chapter that we've been on since October 1st, it is still Monday of Holy Week. We are about four Sundays into this. Jesus has answered some tough questions from the temple authorities. He has taken on some, some hard positions, uh, and people have tried to put him into hard, um, hard answers on things. But it hasn't worked. So the leadership, those who are trying to trap him, decide they will try a new tactic. They're going to send in their minions. They're send in their underlings. So our story today tells us that it's not the, the Pharisees who ask questions, but the Pharisees' disciples. And it's not, of course, King Herod Antipas himself who comes in. It's his little people, his little minions, who come and ask questions. They're known as the Herodians. The thing is, though, the Pharisees, and by, by extension, their disciples, didn't really get along with Herod and his people. But they had this one thing in common, and that was that maybe they could trap Jesus into some statement to hold against him, and at the same time, be able to turn to their other people and say, and see, you're wrong. Because the Pharisees didn't love the Roman occupation that was happening in Jerusalem, but Herod Antipas did, because he was a puppet king installed by Rome. And so these two groups were at odds with each other, but neither of them liked Jesus, because they saw him as a threat to their way of life. So they join forces and say, let's go ask him this question. Is it right to pay taxes to the emperor? Now, if Jesus simply says, yes, you should pay your taxes to the emperor, then the Pharisees are going to be even more mad at Jesus than they already were. And more importantly, all these people who had been following Jesus all this time, who are very anti-Rome zealots, are going to be really mad. And they're going to to walk away from everything that he has said. But if Jesus says, oh no, those coins should not go to pay taxes to the emperor, then the Herodians are going to run out of the temple and they're going to go back and tell King Herod and King Herod's going to send messengers down to Rome who are going to say, there's this guy and he says this and all of the religious leaders support him. So you're going to need to come take care of me because I'm King Herod and I'm very weak, but you put me here. So you should send in lots of troops. It's a profound moment. And Jesus takes advantage of it, and he says, so show me the coin. Which, one, proves that Jesus probably wasn't carrying a purse of money himself. But it also makes them pull out a Roman coin in the temple, 
which was a big no-no. This is the same temple where probably just 24 hours or so before, Jesus had flipped the tables and sent those same coins flying everywhere. And yet here they were with them in their pockets. Jesus calls out their hypocrisy by saying, show me the coin. And also, who's on that coin? And what does it say? The coin that they produced likely said, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. You have to say it with some sort of triumph in your voice, right? Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. The Roman people, the Roman leadership, those in power, believed that the previous emperor, Augustus, was divine, was, if not the God, a God, and an important God. And so therefore, the coin that they pulled out, that they were asking about whether or not they should pay taxes with, carried the image of someone who claimed to be a son of God or son of a god. They were literally walking around, these people who claimed to be or attempted to be good and faithful followers of God, were walking around with a graven image in their pocket. Just a few Sundays ago, we heard the Ten Commandments. This was number two on the list. Have no graven images before you. So Jesus, again, faced with a choice, faced with a moment, He could have smited all of them, but instead he says, yeah, 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 give Tiberius his due, but do the same thing for God. I think some of the way we interpret this story and the way this story can can fall upon us is how how we believe we hear Jesus saying these words. What was his facial expression? Because, you know, sometimes our facial expression says way more about what we're thinking than our, the tone of our voice or even the words that are coming out. Sure, give the emperor the things that bear the image of the emperor and give to God the things that bear the image of God. And what is it that bears the image of God? It's us. It's you. It's me. It's the person, it's both the person who cut you off in traffic and the person who held the door for you. We are the ones who bear the image of the Almighty. So Jesus is saying, yes, it is lawful to obey the emperor, but it is more lawful to obey God and God's directives of love and justice and mercy. Yes, render to Caesar, but also render to God our care and compassion for the marginalized and the vulnerable. Render to God's creatures and creation the love and honor and respect that God shows for all of us. This is where I think Jesus gives like a flippant wave of the hand and says, yes, pay the tribute to Caesar, whatever. But don't forget that your highest loyalty is to God. By its very design, Christ Church Newburn sits in the middle of commerce and government. We literally share an entire city block with a bank that way, 
and city hall and government right there. So Christ Church does plenty of figurative and literal rendering unto Caesar. And we continue to give God all the things that look like God. We continue to give to God the things that bear the image of God, ourselves, in the way that we show mercy and love and justice. And I believe that sometimes we have to weigh into some mud and into some weeds, and that's not always fun, but it can be important. But I think we do the careful and hard work of staying out of the unnecessary weed and muds so that all that we do at this place can sing to the glory of God. Through music and worship and Christian formation, being part of the larger faith community of Newburn, being good stewards of the facilities and the land that God has entrusted us with and that we will entrust the next generation with, through, being, through supporting each other in good and bad, through being together in Christian fellowship, all of these are things that Christ Church does to love the way that God loves. And it's part of how we render to God what is God's. It's how we give back to God from the very creation that bears the image of God. Now, I can't control, really, how much we all have to render back to Caesar every, say, April 15th. But I can thank you for the ways that you give to God what is God's, especially how you do that in this sacred place and in the wider community in the name of God and in the name of Christ Church. So as some of as Rebecca talked about at the beginning, I hope that you are prayerfully and thoughtfully considering how you will support either continually or for the first time this place, this sacred place that strives to love the way God loves and to bear the image of God into all that we do, and how you will be a part of keeping Christ Church moving forward and singing God's glory as we go into 2024. Amen.